living room as she did most evenings. But that night was different because her husband had passed away. An empty chair next to her there in the living room in front of the TV in that area where they used to spend time together. No more. They'd buried her husband. He'd passed away, still grieving his loss. But all of a sudden, in he walked. Walked into the room, sat down in that chair where he always used to sit. I was in that living room, not at that moment, but I was in there. I saw the chairs. I met the woman. And she knew that it couldn't be her husband because she knew what Jesus taught about death, but she missed him so much that she let him just keep coming back, whatever it or he was. Night after night, family wondered why she was coping so well with the death, little knowing that every single night she would spend time with something that looked just like her husband. Until one night, Instead of her husband walking in, she looked over and there was a green snake coiled up on the chair. Naturally, she freaked out and it took, uh, it took a lot to finally get her calmed down. You know, the subject of death is, is a big one. It's a challenging one. Maybe some of you have seen ghosts of loved ones in your home. I've heard stories about, you know, people who, who know what the Bible teaches but have had these experiences that are so crazy I don't even want to share them with you. So it's important for us to know not only what does Jesus teach about death, but to apply it in our lives and to know it well enough so that we can tell others clearly what the Bible teaches. Amen? You know, I, I was studying this topic. We're going through our series about the core, fundamental teachings of our church as taught through Jesus Christ himself as he was physically present on earth, realizing that, that Jesus inspired the whole Bible, but we're focusing mostly just on what the Gospels have to say. And I got so into this topic that I actually prepared enough for two weeks. And so this morning I said, this is too much. So next week, we're going to have part two. So today, we're focusing on part one. What does Jesus have to say about death? Next week, what does he have to say about hell and the resurrection? And what about some of those confusing texts where he talks about burning, you know, fire that can't be quenched, the worm that won't die, and the rich man and Lazarus? What is Jesus talking about? We'll get into those things next week. But for today, we've got to start, as you well probably can guess, we've got to go to the Gospel of John and we got to go to John chapter 11. You know, maybe and in another time, in another place, I'll do this whole series just from the Gospel of John, because you can pretty much do it straight from the Gospel of John. John chapter 11, of course, you know the story of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, lived in Bethany. One day, Jesus was not in Bethany. He was some distance away. We're not exactly sure the exact distance. But he gets a message, and it says, the one that you love is sick. The implication is, Jesus, come quick. Lazarus is sick. We know you can heal. Come heal my brother and do it now, please. To the shock of everybody, Jesus waited two days to start his journey. 
He stayed there two days. He started his journey. By the time he got there, you know Lazarus had already died. Lazarus was already dead. But on the way there, Jesus had a message to give to his disciples. Verse 11, John 11, verse 11. After this, he'd said, or he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there to wake him up. And they said, Good. If he's sleeping, he's going to get better, right? When you're sick, what you need to do is you need to be in bed, largely. You need to get some fresh air and some sunshine and water and all that stuff, too. But largely, you just need rest, right, Jaden? Just rest. That's what you need. And so, they thought, good, he's getting his rest. He's going to get better. And then Jesus corrected their false understanding. And he says, no, 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 no. Lazarus is dead, verse 14. Lazarus is dead. Point number one, what does Jesus teach about death? He teaches that, la- that, that death is asleep. It's asleep. It's a sleep that has no dreams. A sleep where there's no activity just a rest in the grave. You know, this isn't the only time that Jesus taught that death was asleep. If you look later on, Matthew 9, 24, there was a little girl who had died. Jesus approaches the house. There are people mourning and wailing and weeping. And he says, don't don't worry, she's just sleeping. And they laughed. They laughed him to scorn, the Bible says. But then he goes in there. She's clearly dead. But he wakes her back up again brings her back to life. Jesus taught that death was asleep. So we fast forward, and we get to verse 21 in John chapter 11. He gets there, and as you can imagine, if you're the family, you've got some questions for Jesus. Lord, didn't I ask you to come do visitation? And you waited around, and it took you, my brother is dead now. What's going on, Lord? John chapter 11, verse 21 Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Now, if this was the conventional thinking on death, the next words out of Jesus' mouth would have been this. Don't worry about it, Martha. Your brother's in heaven. He's in a better place now. He's with God. He's with the angels. Don't worry. That's what we would expect in today's culture. That's what today's society teaches, right? And and for many, it's a very comforting thought. But that's not what came out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus had something different to say. Because Jesus taught that death is asleep, that Lazarus was really just in the grave. It wasn't just the shell of Lazarus in the grave. It was all of Lazarus. Just a lifeless Lazarus in the grave. He wasn't in heaven, he wasn't in hell, he just was there in the grave, sleeping. So then the next question we have is, okay, number one, death is asleep. Number two, how long does the sleep last? That's a good thing to know. When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up? It's, it, it, you know, if he were around today, maybe Ed or Joe, he would have said death is like you're knocked out for a surgery, right? No dreams happening when you're under that type of anesthesia. Totally knocked out. Resting in the grave. But how long does it last? Notice the response. Because Jesus says in verse 23, not your brother's in heaven, but your brother is going to rise again. He's going to rise again. And notice her response. She could have said, 
Lord, I know he's already up there. I know he's up there, and then his body's going to go join him later, but then you're going to give him a new body, and you know, there's a lot of confusion there. But she said, I know he will rise in the what? In the resurrection on which day? The last day. So if you want to share this story with somebody to teach them what the Bible says about death, it's really easy. Number one, Jesus says death is asleep. Number two, you sleep until the resurrection, which happens at the when? The last day. It's awesome how clear the Bible really is when we study it carefully. Resurrection at the last day. Earlier in John, John chapter 6, we won't go there, but in, in three verses, four times, I believe, Jesus says, anyone who believes in me, I will raise them up at the last day. The last day. He's referring to the time of his coming. That's the last day of, of regular life here on this earth as we know it. The last day. So then the next question is, well, when's the resurrection? And we just realized the resurrection is the last day. That's when Jesus returns. But, but go real quick to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, because there's a distinction that we need to make regarding the resurrection. John chapter 5, and verse 28, and verse 29. John 5, 28, and 29. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned, or the resurrection of condemnation. So how many resurrections are there? There are two. There's a resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation. Next week we're going to talk about the second resurrection, the resurrection of condemnation. But today we're talking about death and the resurrection of life. The resurrection of life happens at the return of Jesus. Next week, as we'll see, the resurrection of condemnation happens at a later time. And they say if you wake up in, in the resurrection and your back is still hurting, you're in trouble because that's the second resurrection and you don't want that resurrection. You want the first one. Amen? So, but notice this. I, I want to go to Luke chapter 4 verse 14, because I want, I want you to see something here that's clear on this topic. Luke 14, verse 14. Death is asleep. Sleep lasts until the resurrection. The resurrection happens at the last day, which is at the return of Jesus. Notice something else that bolsters this point. Luke chapter 14, verse 14. And we'll look at starting in verse 13. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Good advice for us. And you will be blessed, verse 14. Although they cannot be, repay you, you will be repaid the moment you die because you go instantaneously to heaven. Is that what it says? No. It's important when you read the Bible to notice what it says and what it doesn't say. It says you'll be repaid when? At the resurrection. You get your reward at the resurrection. This doesn't make sense if when you die, you go straight to heaven or straight to hell. Because it sounds like in that thinking, you're getting your reward early. But Jesus says, no, 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 at the resurrection, which in John 11 we saw happens at the last day. 
the day when Jesus returns. Now check this out. This gets even more amazing. Go to Matthew chapter 24, that great passage about the return of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. Matthew 24, verse 31. But let's give some context. Go to verse 30. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn those who are not prepared to go with Jesus. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. And verse 31, we're talking about the second coming, right? And he will send his angels with a loud what? Trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one ends of heaven to the other. When Jesus returns, Matthew says there are going to be angels gathering people together. There's going to be a trumpet blast. Does this make you think of any other verses in the Bible? To me, as I read this, I was like, whoa, this is basically an early version of what Paul later repeats in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will be rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be gathered together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. The trumpet blast, the angels, the gathering together of the saints. And it's here, right in Christ's teaching, even before the Apostle Paul built and expanded upon this teaching, Jesus was already teaching it. When he returns, there's going to be a trumpet blast. He's going to gather the people together. The resurrection of the righteous, the first resurrection happens. And we go home. As we, as we learned the other week, we go home to be with Jesus in heaven. We go away to that place he's preparing for us. And if you look in Luke chapter 20 later on, Luke 20 verse 36, it says, when you are raised back to life in that resurrection, you never die after that point. You never die after that point. Okay, so number one, Jesus thought death was a what? Was it sleep? How long does the sleep last? Until the resurrection. When's the resurrection? It's the last day, which is another name for what? The second coming of Jesus. Right? This is good. We need to know it for ourselves, and we need to know it so that we can share it with other people because people are having their dead loved ones come back to them in their homes and they don't realize that that's not what Jesus taught. They don't realize that that's a deception. What does it say later on in the New Testament? There are spirits of demons performing miracles. Satan himself transforms into an angel of light, the Bible says. We've got to be ready for whatever deceptions come along. So Jesus talked about death like a sleep. But we want to go back to the story of Lazarus because there's more that we can learn from it. So we're going back, back to John chapter 11. And we're going to look now at verse 25 and 26. Martha has just admitted, yeah, I know he's going to rise in the resurrection at the last day. But then it's powerful to see what Jesus has to say in John chapter 11, verse 25. I almost read from Luke. It would have been a surprise. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am 
the resurrection and the life. I am. I have the power over death. This is another thing Jesus taught. He's got the power. Death is asleep, but Jesus has the power over death. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. You got that? He who believes in me will live even though he dies. But then the next phrase almost seems to contradict it. It says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never what? Never die. Wait, Jesus, didn't you just say, if you believe in me, and even though you die, you're going to live? And then he just follows it up by saying, but by the way, if you believe in me, you'll never die. Now, some people, they, they'll get confused by this or, or other things in the Bible because it seems like Jesus is making a contradiction, right? Contradiction, saying two different things where they both can't be true. He says, on one hand, if you believe and you die, you'll live. On the other hand, if you believe, you're not going to die. Now, there are some people who say, well, we just have to have a plain reading of Scripture. A plain reading of Scripture, which just basically means just read it as it sounds and there's no interpretation necessary. If that was true, then Jesus would be saying nonsense here. Friends, we need to interpret what the Bible says. Amen? We need to do it with good, solid principles. But clearly, there's something that we have to understand. And the, the bit of information we're missing is that Jesus spoke about two deaths. Two deaths, the first death and the second death. We saw that there were two resurrections, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation. Well, it turns out that there are two deaths. And next week, we'll talk about death number two, which is the eternal death. But today, Jesus is calling death number one asleep. So, so what he's saying is, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, is that death one or death two? That's death one, the sleep. Even if you have to rest in the grave peacefully, you're going to be raised back to life in the resurrection of life. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Which death is that? The second death. They won't experience the condemnation and the punishment which results in perishing, eternal death. Talk about that more next week. So does that make sense? Two deaths, two resurrections. Which one do you want to be a part of? I don't want to die at all, amen? amen. Death number zero, that's the one I want. I want the Lord to come back. But if I die, just death number one, the sleep in the grave, the peaceful rest in the grave. Temporary state. And of course, many of you are familiar with those other passages. Ecclesiastes 9.5, the living know that they shall die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. Or Psalm 115, verse 17, the dead do not praise God, neither do any who go down in silence. If I was in heaven immediately after my death, I would be praising God, wouldn't you? I'd be praising the Lord. I'd be so excited. Now, now, some people say, but I just like it better thinking that my loved one is in heaven immediately, right? Because, I mean, isn't that a wonderful thought? Like, hey, they're dead, but immediately they're in heaven. It's a wonderful thought until you start thinking about what that might mean when life isn't good. Imagine a single mom. She dies in a car crash. Her kids in the back seat are spared. She dies, goes to heaven, and then she has to watch her two kids, a boy and a girl, 
uh, be raised by family members or be shipped off into foster system. Maybe the foster parents are abusive to them. Maybe they don't love them very well. Watch her, her, her kids grieving the loss of their mom. Maybe it leads to a, a substance abuse because they just can't process life with this trauma. And the mom is up in heaven and she's praising the Lord. She, actually, she's looking down and she's seeing that she can't step in physically and help her kids. And so she's having to live day after day after day, and then there's no night in heaven, so she's not sleeping. She's just constantly worried about her kids that she can't step back into their lives and help them. Would she enjoy heaven very much? Friends, that's not a very comforting thought to me. It's not a very comforting thought for many realities in our world. And that's why it's so beautiful what Jesus says. The dead, they don't know anything. If your life's going great, they don't know it. They'll find out later. If your life is going terrible, praise God, they don't know it at least. They're resting peacefully. While the storms of life are blowing in the world of the living, they're just in the grave. No conscious thought, no activity. Just rest. By the way, in the book of Job, it says that the dead don't even return to their homes. Uh, but of course, that's outside of the Gospels, so we're sticking with the Gospels today. Two deaths. First death, rest in the grave. Second death, we'll talk about that next week. So let's review one more time. Jesus taught death is a what? It's a sleep. The sleep lasts for how long? Till the resurrection, which happens when? Last day, which is another name for what? The second coming of Jesus. And there are two deaths. First death is asleep. Second death, permanent death. We'll talk about that next week. Two resurrections. First resurrection, coming of Christ. Second resurrection happens later. We'll deal with that more next week. Now, before we close, we need to look at some confusing verses. You say, well, that's very well and good, Pastor, but what about those verses that confuse me. And one of the most popular ones that confuse people is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which talks about absent from the body, present with the Lord. And what's interesting that you'll first notice that the majority of the people, when they quote that verse to you, they say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But as you look at the verse, it says, I'm well pleased to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There's an important distinction there. And the answer to this passage is really quite simple. Who's writing the letter in 2 Corinthians? Paul. Who wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians? Paul, okay? Same person, right? So we're not expecting Paul to change theology between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. What he received, you know, he, he, he stuck with it. So, number one, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is, is making a contrast between the life here and the life to come. He said, our life now is like an earthly tent. My body is like a tent. He was a tent maker, right? So he knew about tents. My body is like a tent. But when God comes and I get my new body, it's going to be like a mansion, a heavenly building. He was looking forward to that new body. Are you looking forward to the new body? Amen. Your body may be a tent. Your body may be a lean-to right now. But in heaven, you're getting a mansion for a body, right? That's going to be awesome. 
So Paul is, is saying, he's, he's saying, you know, I'm clothed with this earthly body, and I don't want to die and be, like, naked with no body. I want to be further clothed with my heavenly body. And so he's saying, I want to be with God. I don't want to have to die. I just want to be absent from this earthly body and be present with the Lord. And he's already said, when you're present with the Lord, you get the heavenly body. But Paul wasn't confused about when that happened. He wanted to go straight to heaven like, I don't want to die, right? I want to go from this body to my heavenly body and skip the in-between stage, which he compares to being naked when you're just dead. And to further back this up, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, he says that the, this mortal body puts on an immortal body when? At the last trumpet, at the resurrection. So Paul wasn't confused. And it's important for us not to be confused on passages like this. Now, a lot of people ask, well, what about the soul? The Bible talks about the soul. Didn't Jesus teach that there was an immortal soul? No. You know, over 1,500 verses in the Bible talk about the soul, but never once does it say the soul is immortal. In fact, I did some, some, some reading this week, and it was really fun, seeing the different ways that soul is used. It's the Greek word psuche. Can you say that? Psuche. Psuche, yeah, kind of like suitcase, except a little different. So, psuche. So, so that's the Greek word, and it just means yourself. We don't have souls. We are souls. Uh, ourself. It, it, it sometimes, it, it's used in a variety of ways, and you'll see this here. For example, the parable of the rich fool. Guy that said, yeah, I'm so rich, I'm just going to put it all in barns and, and just relax. It says there in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have laid up ample goods for many years. Relax, eat and drink and be merry. I will say to my psuche, psuche, you have ample goods. He's not saying I will say to the ghost part of me that exists like and goes straight to heaven after I die. Hey, ghost part of me. This is what I'm going to do. No, he, he's saying self. I'm, he's talking to himself, right? Hey, man, this is what you're going to do, man. You're going to build barns. You're going to store it up and relax. Here's an example of soul just talking about yourself. Or what about the words of Simeon to Mary? John, or Luke chapter 2, verse 35. Simeon was waiting to see the Messiah be born. Mary brings Jesus to the temple. And... Simeon prophesies about what's going to happen, and he says, a sword will pierce through your own psuche, through your soul. Now, was he saying there's going to be a literal sword that's going to pierce through the ghost part of you that goes to heaven immediately after death? That doesn't make any sense. He's, he's talking to her, and he's saying, bad things are going to happen, and it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt yourself your heart, your emotions, the deepest part of who you are. Or what about this one? Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your psuche, your life. What you will eat, what will you drink? Now in the classic understanding of soul, immortal soul, do immortal souls need to eat or drink? No, they don't care about that stuff. But Jesus said, the people are worried about what they're going to, put on their psuche, in their soul. Clearly, he's just talking about their life, their self. What will it profit a man 
<coughs> excuse me, if he gains the world and loses his what? His suke, his soul. You ever see anyone running around saying, I lost my ghost part, my soul, where's my soul? I'm only a half a person now. Is that what losing your soul means? No. Here Jesus is using soul to represent your eternal life, your salvation. But he's not using it to represent some ghost part of you. Jesus, Matthew 26, 38, he said, My soul, my psuche, is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. He wasn't saying half of himself was really sad. He was saying all of me, my whole life, my whole body, my whole being. So that's how Jesus used soul, and the soul is used throughout the Bible like that. What about spirit? Doesn't the Bible use spirit and, and talk you know, in, in soul-like terms, this immortal soul for the spirit? The answer is no, it doesn't. And, and Jesus almost exclusively uses the word spirit to refer to the Holy Spirit or to angels, usually to demons. The word there is pneuma, pneuma. Literally, it, it often just refers to wind or breath. Have you heard about those types of drills, the power tool, like a pneumatic drill? What's it powered with? Air. air. You hook it up to an air compressor, right? So that's, it comes from the Greek. Pneuma, air, wind. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the Bible says that he gave up his spirit, you know what the Greek word there is? He gave up his pneuma, his air, his breath. In other words, he breathed his last. <sighs> And then he died. Father, into your hands I commit my last breath. I commit the breath of life that you put into me. I give it back to you. That's what he's talking about when he's on the cross. Not, I give up this ghost part of me. You don't find that in the teachings of Jesus or in the teachings of Scripture. Or John chapter 3, verse 8, talking to Nicodemus. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. He's saying the pneuma. The air, it blows where it wishes. He's not saying that there are these ghosts that kind of blow around wherever they want to blow. No, he's saying the air, the breath, blows where it wishes. So hopefully that helps answer some of those questions. We'll look at more of those questions next week. But we've got to close here. We're going back to Bethany. John chapter 11. Jesus goes back to the tomb of Lazarus. He says, roll the stone away. They said, Lord, he stinks. It's been four days. Don't do it. Do it anyways, Jesus says. And then he said those famous words, Lazarus, come down. You're up in heaven. Come back down, buddy. Come forth. He didn't say shell of a body come forth and Spirit of the man, come down. He said, come on out, because Jesus thought that death was asleep. Sleep lasts until when? The second coming. The resurrection, what happens on the last day. Come forth. Just imagine for one moment, you're Lazarus. You've been dead, but you maybe don't even realize that you've been dead, right? You know, you're, you're lying there, in a tomb, and it's totally dark. And the Bible says there are cloths over your face, over your hands, and tying your feet together. And all of a sudden, 
you wake up. You ever happen that, have that happen when you're sleeping at night and you're maybe on a trip and you're confused, like, oh, where am I, where am I? And then you realize finally where, so that's what happens to him. He wakes up, he can't see, he can't move, but he has to like try and get up. And he like, I don't know, jumps or hobbles and he makes his way out to the entrance. He was so confused. And then they untie this thing and he looks and his hands and feet are still tied and everybody is looking at him and he realizes he was in a tomb and I just got to think his first words might have been, was I dead? <laughs> right? You got to think about these stories. What was it like for Lazarus? And then people are like, yes, you were dead. You've been dead for four days, man. And people are in disbelief and your sisters are crying, and there's Jesus, and he's smiling. Jesus gave us a sneak preview of what it's going to be like when he comes back. There will be family members of ours who didn't even know they were about to die because they died so suddenly. And they're going to wake up and see Jesus returning and think, I must have died. But now I get to see Jesus. Friends, isn't that going to be wonderful? Resting peacefully in the grave. You know, uh, we went home for Christmas, got to see Sarah's family, got to see some of my family, and it was a lot of driving, but it was worth it. I wanted to get home for a couple reasons. I'd seen my parents already, and so it wasn't primarily for them, and, and they were, you know, had stuff going on too. But I wanted to see my cousins to be an ongoing presence in their lives, and I wanted to see my great-aunt Rita. Rita was the greatest candy maker, fudge maker, cookie maker. She even made her home, homemade root beer, which for those of you who, who like that, it's an acquired taste. You make it with yeast and all that to carbonate it. And, you know, anyways, she was the greatest woman, started to lose her mental capacity uh, later on in life and wasn't as with it, but she had the most wonderful heart, the most giving attitude, and I wanted to see her before she died. My grandma, talking to her a week or so before, said, John, I'm not sure if you're going to make it. I'm not sure if she's going to make it. Her health had been deteriorating gradually. But as we got there, she was still alive. We got to go visit her and see her. And, um, it was such a wonderful time. And, and Rita is somebody who, who had Jesus in her heart. Uh, just on Sunday, I got the word that she passed away. So she's resting now. And it was really, it was a tough visit to leave and, and realize, you know, this is the last time that I'll see her alive, likely. Uh, but it's not the last time I'll see her alive, amen? amen? She's resting in the grave. And I'll see her and she'll have everything mentally 100%. And she'll be able to make some wonderful cookies in heaven, if we even do that. Or, or put fruit together in you know, just the right combination. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be amazing. And the good news is, is that Jesus has the power over the grave. Amen. We don't need to fear death if we have accepted and entrusted our life to Jesus. So have you done that? It's a decision you don't just make one time. You make it over and over and over again. And you go to bed with peace, knowing even if you die in your sleep tonight, I'm okay. 
I'll rest. I'll be secure. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to wake me up. He's going to wake my family up. So number one, know this truth for yourself. And number two, look for ways to share it with others that they might have the same hope and joy in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we're looking forward to that day. Give us patience, give us strength. And thank you for the peace that we have, having entrusted our lives to you. That live or die, all things will be well, because we're in your wonderful, amazing hands. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, we'll see you later. And for those that are able to stick around for the 2 o'clock memorial service, We would love to see you there.